I'm loving this series, Dream On. This is a great series. Micah, Pastor Micah, has just done a great job on this series, teaching us about fulfilling our dreams, the dreams that God has placed in our hearts. And uh, using the life of Joseph, what an amazing character. You could just preach on the life of Joseph for weeks and weeks and weeks, which actually he's doing. And uh, uh, Joseph was sold into slavery, slavery, if you remember, by his brothers. This is it's a long, long account. If I, if I count all of that, I won't have time for the message. Uh, just to remind you that he was sold into slavery by his brothers, ended up in Egypt. But Joseph has this, this character that every place he goes and every place he's put, whether it's in a prison or in a pit or as a servant, he always rises to the top and ends up in charge. So I want to say to you that wherever you're at in life and whatever you're dealing with in life, and if you feel like someone has not treated you fairly, just hang on because God's will and God's plan and God's purpose will not be thwarted in your life, and you will end up exactly where God has destined you to be. Amen? Joseph is a prime example of that. Joseph ends up in Egypt, of course, and uh, while he's there and while he's in prison, uh, Micah has already uh, opened up for us that uh, Pharaoh has a dream, and Joseph is going to be brought from the prison to be able to interpret Pharaoh's dream, and Pharaoh's dream has to do with the famine that's coming on the land, and the Bible uses some specific language. It says a severe famine. Now, a famine is when there's a scarcity of food. There are economic downturns that can lead to that. There's, there are economic challenges. There are social challenges, all kinds of different challenges that can happen in our societies, in our culture, in our nation. But when a famine happens, when you don't have food, then the other stuff takes a back burner to the fact that, okay, we're not happy about social injustice, we're not happy about the economy, but right now we're starving. That's the big thing. That becomes the big thing. And the Bible says it was a severe famine. Well, I think famine's bad enough. A severe famine means people are going to starve to death. People are going to die. And can you imagine the chaotic atmosphere in Egypt because of this famine. When there's a famine, when there's a scarcity of food, a severe famine, and people could be starving to death, now all of a sudden people are panicking and it's chaos. So today what I want to talk with you about is managing the chaos in your life. Between your dream, and your destiny, right in here, somewhere. It could be here, here, or here. Somewhere in here, you need to be prepared for chaos. And how you manage the chaos in your life will determine whether or not you reach your destiny. Because everybody's going to experience, Jesus said, in your life you will have tribulation. Tough times are going to come. 
I'm not saying God is going to send you tough times, but the devil is going to be sure that you have some tough times. And how you handle chaos in your life is going to determine whether or not you fulfill your destiny. And I'm going to, spoiler alert, let's go to the end of the message and then I'm going to build on this. Most of the chaos in our life is caused by poor planning. Poor planning. So many people are... I've heard people say, I was completely blindsided by that. I didn't see that coming. And usually the first thing I think is, you should have. You ever had anybody say that to you? I never saw that coming. And you thought, I saw it coming the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, we should have seen it coming. So where we want to go today, we want to end up in Genesis chapter 47, where it outlines how Joseph manage the famine. But before we do that, we're going to go back over into Genesis chapter 41 that Micah has just covered already. And we're going to talk about how this chaos, management of this chaos was set up for Egypt. In Genesis chapter 41 verses 1 through 7, we know that Pharaoh has a dream. He has two dreams. He has a dream that some Fat, healthy, nice cows come up out of the river, but then the Bible says some ugly cows, it calls them ugly cows, some ugly cows come out of the river and gobble them up. Then he has another dream. Some really nice, healthy wheat grows, but then some really spindly wheat grows next to it and eats it up. And he doesn't understand what these dreams are. He calls for the interpreters, the prophets of the court, They can't interpret it, but one of the men who was in prison with Joseph mentions to Pharaoh, now there's a guy in the prison who interpreted some dreams for us. I believe he can interpret this dream. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph. And in Genesis 41, 26, we see that Joseph is able to interpret Pharaoh's dream. He tells him the seven fat cows and the seven nice stalks of wheat represent seven good abundant years of harvest. The seven ugly cows and the seven thin spindly shafts of wheat represent seven years of famine. So this is how he interprets this dream for him. Joseph is able to interpret this dream and to give him, watch this, God's perspective on the future and the future situation. And he was able to define a future problem. So I'm going to ask you a question. What are the potential problems on the horizon that could cause problems in your life? What are the potential problems that could cause problems in your business, in your finances, in your marriage, with your kids? What are those potential problems. Have you examined those possibilities? This is really the nitty-gritty of what I want to talk about today. Now, we're not to live in fear, and we're not to live in negativity. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So I'm not advocating that we live the future in fear and that we're afraid of a coming recession or we're afraid of coming problems and difficulties. But Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3 says, A prudent person, say, I'm prudent. A prudent person 
foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. You're not a simpleton, are you? How about this? The Message Bible says it like this. A prudent person sees trouble coming and ducks. A simpleton walks in blindly and gets clobbered. I don't want to get clobbered by what's in the future, do you? So, we're prudent and we foresee danger. We're not afraid of the future. We don't have a spirit of fear, but we foresee the future, foresee the potential issues, and we deal with them. We come up with a plan. So, do you have God's perspective on the future of your dream and what God's placed in your heart? Jeremiah 29, 11. Most of us know that scripture. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Many of us have heard that scripture before. Then it says, though, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So we need to have God's perspective on the future. And when you get Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13 on the inside of you, you never lose hope. This is, this is what we need in this day and in this hour is hope. So many people are looking at the economy and losing hope. They're looking at our our country's situation. They're looking at the world's situation, looking at Russia, looking at China. And people are losing hope. But our hope is not in the political climate, in the economic climate, and what's going on out there. Our hope is in God. We put our hope in Him. And this says that God has given to us a future and a hope. So always look to the future with hope. I really want to drive that home because we're getting ready to, to talk about planning for potential issues in the future. But when you're doing that, you never lose your hope in God. God's going to get you through it. Whatever it is, God will get you through it. Pharaoh, I want to, I want to remind you about something. Anytime people ask me uh, about my perspective on things and I say, well, the Bible says, sometimes people roll their eyes. Oh, really? What, so you're going to preach to me now? The Bible says. But think about this. Pharaoh was a pagan king in a pagan society, and he had brought his pagan prophets in. They couldn't interpret the dream. And so when Joseph shows up on the scene and Pharaoh says, I understand you can interpret this dream for me. And Joseph says, as Micah very ably pointed out, Joseph says, I can't interpret the dream for you. But the God Jehovah of the Hebrews, he can interpret the dream for you. Now, Pharaoh, being a pagan king, could have just rolled his eyes and said, no, I don't want to hear anything from your God. But Pharaoh was open to it. Let's be open to God's perspective. When anybody tells you, well, you know, the Bible says, don't roll your eyes. Perk up your ears and listen because your deliverance is coming. So in Genesis 41, 33, after Joseph interprets the dream, then Joseph puts a plan in place. He says, you need to select a leader, somebody to head this up, and they need to appoint uh, some guys under them. We're going to, uh, what we need to do is tax the people 
20% of their grain, have them bring the grain in, and we need to store that grain for lean times when the lean times come. I want to point something out to you. This plan did not come as a revelation from God. This plan was not a part of the dream. The dream was there are seven good years, then there are seven years of famine. That was the dream. That was the extent of it. This other stuff came from Joseph's spirit-inspired brain. I want that to sink in. You know, Connie and I have a dear friend, uh, dear friends Peter and Robina Daniels, uh, an Australian billionaire. who They're great friends of ours. And uh, Peter, Peter's been here twice, I think, and ministered and and we've been other places with him where he's been. And Peter has a very famous saying. The problem with most Christians is they simply will not think. Peter will slate out a part of his day, and he sits in an easy chair with a cup of tea, closes his eyes. When people see him, they think he's napping. And Robina, Robina says, he's not napping. He's thinking. This is why he's so wealthy and so successful. He says most Christians, the problem with Christians is they won't think. They won't use their brain. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says, For we have the mind of Christ. So when we have potential issues on the horizon, we need to pray, we need to think, and we need to plan. Everybody say pray, pray. think, think, plan. So I want to ask you this question. Do you have a plan to deal with future chaos that could threaten your life, threaten your business? Do you have a plan to deal with any future chaos that could threaten your marriage or threaten your kids? Let me ask some questions here. By a show of hands, if you're single... And marriage is in your future sometime. Would you raise your hand? Several people. Good, good. I have a couple of questions for you. First of all, what are the three main causes of divorce within the first five years of marriage? And no, just, you just need to think about it. I know I'm getting. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate, you know, I appreciate audience participation. Usually when I want it, I don't get it. But I just want, you to, I want to ask you to think for just a moment. What are the three main causes of divorce within the first five years of marriage? And what is your plan to head those off? Well, I don't know. I'm not married yet. Exactly. Most chaos that destroys our lives is because we simply did not plan. We simply don't have a plan. How many people are married five years or less? Anybody here married five years or less? Yes, yes, yes. Good, good. What are the three main causes of divorce among those who have been married for 10 years or longer? And what is your plan to head those off? Well, I don't know. I mean, we're, we've only been married a couple years. Man, marriage is great. We're having the time of our lives. Why would we think about that now? Exactly. Because chaos happens because we didn't plan. How many times have I heard people say, I never saw it coming? You should have. Let me back up. You don't have to put it on the screen. I just want to back up and say this. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. 
A simpleton walks in blindly and gets clobbered. Don't get clobbered. Ask yourself these questions. If you're the parent of a child that's seven years old or less, let me ask you these, this question. What are the three main causes of teenage rebellion? I don't know. I mean, Susie's three. Man, she's adorable. Man, we just, I mean, if she burps, we take a video of that and we send it to the grandparents. I mean, well, you know, I don't, I don't know what those are. Why would I think about that now? Exactly. It's exactly what I'm talking about. What is your plan to prevent teenage rebellion when this child grows up, as this child grows up? It's awful quiet in here. If you're a business owner, most of the U.S. population is terrified right now of an economic downturn. Smart investors, on the other hand, welcome the possibility because they are positioned to take advantage of it and make money. More millionaires were made during the Great Depression of the 1920s than any other time in U.S. history. We have pictures in our mind of bread lines, people hungry, stockbrokers jumping out of buildings because the stock market has crashed. But there were people who were positioned because they saw the potential for the chaos ahead and they positioned themselves so when everything else tanked, that's the time to buy it. Warren Buffett says a fool with a plan will always be more successful than a genius without a plan. Here, God is causing Pharaoh to be forward-thinking. How forward-thinking are you? Now, I realize I could be teaching on prosperity or healing or something, and we could all be standing on our chairs and jumping and shouting, but this is something we need to think about as Christians because how we manage the chaos in our life is going to determine whether or not we fulfill God's dream and God's plan that he has put in our heart. Something else I want to point out in Genesis 41, after Joseph interprets the dream, he says you need to put somebody in charge of this plan. Listen, somebody needs to take charge of the plan. In your scenario, you're the somebody that needs to take ownership of the plan. And so often, people come up with a skeleton of the plan, but they have to take ownership of the plan and execute it. I've seen, I've seen elaborate business plans that you would think, surely this person is going to be successful. The only problem is the person didn't take ownership of the plan and execute it. It looked great to the bank. When the bank loaned them the money, this is your business plan? Great, we'll loan you the $8 million if this is what you're going to do. The problem is they never executed the plan they came up with. Anybody in the house today? So somebody has to take ownership of the plan. Do you know how many weight loss plans there are out there right now? Anybody have a guess? Hundreds of them. And you can pick one off the internet, you can pick one online, you can get a weight loss plan, but guess what? Nothing happens until you take ownership of it and execute it. You can take the Dave Ramsey 
finance course, but nothing is going to happen until you take ownership of it and execute the plan. Millions of homes in the United States have Dave Ramsey's book on their bookshelf, and they've been through it, and they've been through the class, but they didn't take ownership of the plan. This is awfully good preaching. So if you take take an ownership of the plan that you have. Now, Genesis 41, uh, 47. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 47 through 49, it says, Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt, and he laid up the food in the cities. He laid it up in every city, the food of the fields which surrounded them, and he gathered very much grain as the sands of the sea until he stopped counting because it was immeasurable. Joseph, if you don't get anything else I said this morning, I want you to get this. Joseph executed this plan before it was needed. So when the chaos hit, the plan was already in place. Most of us want to put in a plan after the chaos hits. Pastor, tell me what I should do. Well, I can tell you what you should do, but you should have done it four years ago. So my question is, have you already executed the plan even though you may not see the need for it for years? Before we're thinking we don't see the need for it is why we don't execute it. I don't, there's not a need for me to, to think about my marriage in 10 years. We've been married two years. Man, life is great. It's wonderful. I love it. We're going to be like this forever. You're going to get clobbered, the message Bible says. We need to come up with a plan. I never, I never thought that, I would, that stuff would happen like this, but you should have. So ask yourself these questions. Now, we get to go to Genesis chapter 47, which is really where... Uh, I should be teaching out of anyway. I wanted to give us some background. Genesis chapter 47, verses 13 through 26. So here's what happens. After the seven good years, now the famine hits. And remember, the Bible says severe famine. There's famine where we're hungry. Then there's severe famine where people are going to starve to death. So the people come to Joseph with their money, and they buy grain from him that he stored up an immeasurable amount of grain to feed Egypt. And so they buy grain with their money, and they buy grain, and they buy grain until the money runs out. So then they come to Joseph, and they say, we don't have any more money. We've got livestock. We'll give you our livestock for grain. Otherwise, we're going to starve to death. So Joseph takes the livestock and gives them grain. And then the livestock runs out remember this is a severe severe famine it's not just well we didn't get to go to starbucks today these people are going to starve to death so now they come back to him and say all of our livestock is gone you have all the livestock you've got all of our money the only thing we have left is ourselves and our property 
in order for us to not starve to death, we'll give you our property and we will give you ourselves as servants to Pharaoh if you'll feed us grain. And so Joseph gives them grain in, order, uh, in exchange for the deeds to their property and their commitment to be servants to Pharaoh. Once the famine was over, they weren't slaves, but rather they were tenant farmers. Joseph gave them seed for crops for them to feed themselves. It's all now Pharaoh's land, but they all have it divided up, and they can stay on it, and they can farm it. And he said, you can, here's your seed, you can plant, and we can begin to grow again for you and your little ones, feed your families, take care of your families. But the 20% tax on grain is still in effect. I want you to continue to bring 20% of the grain. Why did Joseph do that? To prevent a future economic disaster. Joseph is forward-thinking. Joseph knows whatever happens in the future, we're going to be ready. This was a long-term plan. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, 14 years they've been dealing with this, and now Joseph is even thinking farther into the future. We've got all these structures built to store up grain, and we're going to fill those up as well. This, the plan initially took 14 years. Be prepared for a long-term plan to incorporate into your lifestyle for years, not just we took care of that, now we're home free. But prepare your marriage, prepare your kids, prepare your finances, prepare your business as a lifestyle to deal with any future chaos. How you manage chaos in your life is going to determine whether or not the dream that God has placed in your heart is going to be fulfilled. Always prepare for the future in a time of abundance. This is such a hard principle to get people to see. Life is good. Finances are good. Marriage is good. Kids are great. Man, I mean, little Dolly's six and she's just adorable. She's going to be 16 one day. You won't be taking videos of her and sending them to grandma. I don't know, you might. <laughs> Always prepare for the future in a time of abundance. Financially, financial abundance, prepare for the future. Prepare for the future. Say it with me. Prepare for the future. Emotionally, emotionally, I'm doing great. Emotionally, I'm on, you know what? I feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm happy. Everything's going well. Uh, life is good. That's when you need to store that up you need to look at the potentials for emotional disaster in the future and be sure that you're ready for that. So many people <coughs> in, our, in my 40 years of pastoring, I've seen so many people who were like this one day, and then the next month, what happened to them? They got completely blindsided by, by a circumstance in their life because they were not prepared emotionally for the chaos spiritually, relationally, be prepared for the chaos. <coughs> I love this next passage of Scripture. I believe 
Yeah, I got a cough drop up here. I'm just going gonna, gonna to pop this in. Those of you watching by video, we are delighted to have you with us. Um, just uh, take a sip of coffee there while I put this cough drop in my mouth. And then pray that I don't spit it out on somebody on the front row. I believe that for 14 years, Joseph was the most hated man in Egypt. I believe they hated him. He taxed them 20% of their grain. They never had to do that before. Life was good. What, he's, he's taken 20% of our grain, of our food we could be feeding our families with, and there's no famine on the horizon. This guy's lost his mind. And then the famine hits. But what does he do? He sells back to them the grain they gave to him. And I believe, that, I believe they hated him. And then the money ran out, and they gave to him all their livestock for grain. Now they really hate him. He's got our livestock. He's got all of our money. We don't have anything except our property. And now we're starving to death. And guess what? They were desperate. This is all we have. We're, our kids are going to starve. You can take our property. You can even take us as servants. I believe they hated him for 14 years. But something happened. The light came on. After 14 years, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, the famine is over. And in uh, chapter 47, verse 26... Verse 25, they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of, in your sight, my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants willingly. Now we're not desperate. We realize we did not have the foresight. We would have starved to death if you hadn't taxed us the 20%, and if you hadn't sold the grain back to us, we would have starved to death. You saved our lives. After years of complaining, you know, your children may not appreciate the new guidelines at first. They may hate you. Or say they don't hate you, but they may say they hate you. Your employees may not appreciate the new guidelines that you put in because of what you see coming in the future. I have had kids, my kids, I've had employees. I've had people come to me and say, thank you. We didn't understand why in the world you were doing this, and now we do. Thank you for doing that. So sometimes you've just got to step up to the plate, and you've got to be the parent. You've got to be the boss. You've got to make the hard calls. Sometimes people don't like you for it. But in the end, they'll look back and go, wow, thank God. You did what you did, and you saved them. There will come a day. So I want to issue a challenge to you today. Anybody learn anything? I want to issue a challenge to you today. If you're single and marriage is in your future, I want you to research the three main causes of divorce within the first five years of marriage. Come up with a plan to head it off, and you be in charge of executing that plan. If you're married five years or less, 
What are the three main causes of divorce among those who have been married 10 years or longer? I want you to research that. And I want you to come up with a plan to head that off and you be in charge of executing that plan. No, I says, I'm going to let him, I'm going to let him do it. You do it. I'm going to let her do it. She's a spiritual one. You do it. If you're the parent of a child seven years old or less, I want you to do the research. Ask yourself, what are the three main causes of teenage rebellion? And come up with a plan to head those off, and you be in charge of executing that plan. And by the way, let me say, you be the parent. Be the parent. Be the parent. If you're best friends with your kids, that's great, but that's not what God called you to do. God called you to be the parent. And, by, and you know what? I'm a, I'm a, I get a real kick out of seeing on social media where parents will post a picture of them with their teenager or with one of their kids and say, we're best friends. I don't want to see you. I mean, that's great if you are. I'm, I'm not opposed to that, but I don't want to see you post that. I want them to post that. You know, my best friend, the Holy Spirit is my best friend. You know who determines whether or not the Holy Spirit is my best friend? I do. Because he's not in my life to be my best friend. He's in my life to speak to me, to keep me. Do you know how many times the Holy Spirit says, you are not going to post that on social media? <laughs> no, you're not. You are not sending that email. You are not going to the movies to see that. No, you're not. You are not going to do this. And if you do it anyway, somehow you don't have this warm feeling like you're his best friend. You have grieved him. And it's, it's, I'm the one that, when I say we're best friends, he can take that or leave it. He is my best friend, but I determine that. And so when parents say, me and, me and Johnny, me and Susie, we're best friends, and sometimes they take a picture and mom's smiling and the girl's going, I want, to hear, I want to hear Susie say that because mom needs to be the parent. And Susie needs to decide, even though mom's the parent, we're still best friends. Or not. That's not what you're called to do. I have done stopped preaching and started meddling, haven't I? I apologize. So, if you're a business owner, what are the three main causes of business failure? What's your plan to head those off? What is your plan if troubled economic waters are ahead? What is your plan to deal with the chaos that may be coming so you can fulfill God's plan and dream and destiny? And you be in charge of executing that plan. Well, my employees wouldn't do this. Well, I put this guy in charge of this. He wouldn't do that. You be in charge of it yourself. And if you're a Christian, what are the three main reasons that believers lose their passion for God? That's your assignment. Research that. What is your plan to be sure that doesn't happen to you? And you be in charge of executing that plan. Is there anything today? Stand up with me.